Superman and the Masters of the Universe. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Dr. G. Taking you through a classic superhero slash toy team up, Superman and the Masters of the Universe. Or I should say, the Masters of the Universe! DC Comics presents number 47, cover dated July 1982. And Dr. G, you've got your own Masters of the Universe podcast. Why, yes, yes I do. Motucast, um, where we're more right now focusing on uh, the print versions of He-Man. So this is a perfect one for me to uh, come on with. Uh, right now, we've been mainly looking at the um, little mini comics, but we're also looking at things like the storybooks and and others. But yeah, and I too eventually have that. you're doing the the cartoons or the toys or is anything game? Yeah, everything's game. I um I originally sort of planned it as a an indexing show, and I started to do that, and and then I just really decided it would be better to you know since I'm mostly going to have guests on it. I would Mm -hmm. just kind of pick like, hey, did you like this thing? Do you want to talk about it? There we go. And just anything from the entirety of it from we're we're pretty open ended. It's basically who wants to talk about Masters of the Universe? That's basically (laughs) that's really what I want to get to. Yeah. Well, in each episode of Fire and Water uh, Team Up, one panelist will pick one character or property to defend. So in this case, Dr. G, will it be the Masters of the Universe? Oh, definitely. I will definitely take He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And I will take Superman. Well, as is customary, we'll preface with a reason or reasons why we like the characters we've chosen. So, Dr. G, what's so great about the Masters of the Universe that you even need to to do a podcast on it? For me, Masters of the Universe as a cartoon and toy line was basically one of my favorites growing up as a kid in the 80s. Pretty much when they kind of hit the scene, I was like seven, eight. So I was in the perfect age group for it. And really of the toy lines, the different toy lines that came out at the time, Masters Universe and He-Man or and G.I. Joe were probably the two I had the most of. So, mm. you know, they really like occupy a very big space in my sort of childhood imaginary play. And I loved the cartoons. I've come back to it now as I have my own podcast and I find I have a lot of like, it's not just nostalgia, but I, I actually look to them like, oh my gosh, all of those moral messages that they had in them that were supposed to be like, in some ways it came off as really hokey at first when I was a kid. I'm like, you know, I actually really listened to them. <laughs> so I've always liked that. Um, the other aspect I love of it, of it is just like as an IP by itself, I would almost describe it as like a lost Jack Kirby series. It, it really has so much of that. There's, you know, it's, you know, savage barbarian emits like magical, fantastic technology. There's a bit of commandy. There's Thunder the Barbarian in it very much so. And there's very fourth world too, because, you know, it's masters of the universe, you know, not really, you know, they're not just fighting for Eternia, but it's, it's the new gods. Yeah. The secrets of Castle Grayskull. If, you know, if Skeletor gets his hands on it, it is, you know, it's, it's like he basically has the anti-life equation at that point. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it has that very same feel. And, you know, especially when you get into characters like Zodak, the cosmic enforcer and stuff like that. I mean, he, if he's not a, especially in the cartoon, if he's not like a, a Metron sort of character in his like sort of cosmic chair flying around space, you know, I don't know what is. So, so yeah, it's, that's the other aspect of it. So it kind of like really gets in that very cross genre sweet spot. Uh, and, and like I said, has a lot of like that Kirby feel to it. I've lost all the toys that I had. Uh, my mom <laughs> put them up for adoption somewhere else, or, I guess. But uh, I was into the Masters of the Universe line. It was probably the one action figure series that I did collect, and a bit like even too late in life. I think like seventh. I was in seventh grade and still collecting them. I do admit to that. My brother was into G.I. Joe and Transformers, and mm-hmm. I was like just a little too old to keep up with all these toy lines at the time when they came out. But uh, Masters of the Universe was really mine, and I think I, I was really into sword and sorcery at that time, like a genre that I sort of abandoned uh, once I got out of my teens in everything. But Masters of the Universe was... Yeah, He-Man was my toy line. I had a lot of them. Uh, sadly, 
all gone. And I'm sure they're worth a pretty penny today. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. You you can, like, a complete Castle Grayskull. I've looked at this. Cause I had I, that, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I've recently become very enamored with action figures again. <laughs> as a as a grown ass man with like you know not a lot of income, <laughs> like I should totally spend it on plastic toys. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I've I've definitely come into it, and I've looked at the, occasionally because I want a Castle Grayskull. Um, I have a lot of these uh, He Man figures, but I, I have like much smaller versions of them. That there's been a lot of recent uh, reproductions of the of the IP and toy line, and I have like ones that are like Star Wars size. And I just, I'm like, oh, I just want some vehicles for them and a uh, Castle Grayskull. And I've even looked at the real Castle Grayskulls out there, like in a complete one. Oof, gets a little pricey. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, I can't, I can't bring that home and say, wife, do you still love me? Look what I just bought. Yeah. If I still had that, you know, I, I could just put it in the box and send it to you. Oh, I would love that. Sadly, sadly. <laughs> I went to college and left them home. That, that was my mistake. Well, you know what? I like to think as long as your mom didn't throw them out and actually gave them to other kids, then then He-Man lives on in the imagination of another child. Probably would happen. I, I'm sure she didn't melt them down. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine your mom like supervillain style, like smoking a cigarette, like watching them melt and going, soon you will be slag. <laughs> imagine. So in Cisco, so what do you, what's the one thing you like about Superman. There's more than one thing, and and since Superman is a mainstay in these team-ups, in this case, I'll state thematically coherent with the team-up, and I might mention Superman toys. There are a lot of them. Uh, I don't have the ones I really like. (laughs) I I don't have the Mego doll, though it was in my house at some point in my childhood. I don't know whose it was. I don't have the Superpowers action figure. I don't have the Supermobile that you could also get. There's a great DC Direct figures retro style Superboy with Crypto and Supergirl with Streaky. Uh, that's a nice set that I, I found online but do not own. Uh, I think a Superman toy or a statue is actually something that looks good in the home. I mean, nerd or not, geek or not, because it's such a classic design. It doesn't have to stay in your basement, your geek cave or whatever your you know family situation is that you have to hide your stuff away. It just it can be there on the mantle in the main living area and uh, it will not seem gaudy or silly you know even jerry seinfeld displayed one in his apartment on his show uh so anyway i don't have any real superman toys i don't but they do look good and fit any decor really so um anyway my birthday's in a couple of weeks so i just some gift ideas for people out there all right i'll keep that in mind um <laughs> so i i actually do have one bit of sort of, I have one of the the Golden Age Superman statue. Oh, that came with like they had like a commemorative Action Comics number one in it too, and and like a little book about like the history of Superman. I love it. It's one of my favorite pieces, and I have it. I usually have it displayed in our office. I do like that. But I wanted the Superman and Supermobile superpowers. Like I know there's like better like articulation Superman action figures out there, but I want that one. I like, I want the superpowers collection. That, that's the one I'm like, oh, if I could just have that one. It's not a lot of figures, so it's not like crazy. And it has like a few like vehicles and accessories. So, you know, you don't have to like totally break the bank on having to like buy tons of stuff. Like I would never want to recollect He-Man. It's huge. <laughs> the toy line's massive. It went on for, for years and spun off a secondary toy line and and then like i think there's something like seven toy lines that have come from it at this point so yeah no i just want that superpowers one i i have a lot of the superpowers but i always bought like the the b-listers you know i had to have dr fate i had to have those are the ones i have i would like dr fate or aquaman or but uh yeah superman i never did buy him yeah, all I had was Green Lantern, and it was it. And I wanted more of them, but they were just like... I'd always end up either getting He-Mans or G.I. Joes, because I had more of them. So I was like, well, they can play together, because they all fit yeah. in each other's, you know, at least all the action 
figures if they could fit in the same vehicles that, that was the that was the key that was the key there same really if i had my if i like time travel to my earlier brain mm-hmm. uh for just this purpose i would tell myself to buy only superpowers action figures because yeah. they were available and i was buying he-man i was buying these other fantasy figures i was buying you know whatever even the marvel superheroes secret wars ones which were much cheaper cheaper as a product not necessarily you know, I think they were all pretty much priced the same. Do you like Superman as well? Oh, I do, of course. I, I think, like, it's funny of the big two from DC, or I should say the big three, the trinity of DC, like, heroes. I have, like, right now the most, like, Batman fatigue of <laughs> all of them. And I'm totally, I'm like, no, no, totally, more Superman. I'll take more Superman, whatever you want. So, yeah, no, I love Superman. But the one thing I really love the most about him, and and this is something that I think dovetails well, because this is something I feel is the same with He-Man. One of the reasons I really like the character of He-Man, specifically as portrayed by the, the, the first cartoon, is that um, they're both, at the end of the day, the strongest person in the room. You know, they're superhumanly strong to a, like a redonkulous level. And yet, oftentimes, their best solution to problems is to, you know, not just punch it out or or slug it out. Although... He meant a little less so from time to time, but he would occasionally, I would always be most impressed of the times when he solved it by not being super strong or specifically not being using his strength to overcome the, the problem, but either like compassion or his, or his, his wits. And that's something with Superman. I always imagine like whenever I think about like, what would I do with Superman's powers? And, and you know, it's like, well, if I had Superman's powers, I, you know, I'd probably use it like, well, not to sling arrows, but like a Zack Snyder Superman, you know, very destructively and indiscriminately for a lot. But the thing I've always loved about Superman is like, he doesn't, whenever it comes down to it, he always finds a different way to do it. And, I'm all, and every time he does, I'm like, oh, wow, I had not thought of that. And I'm a horrible person because I would have just like chosen the brute force approach with his abilities. So this is what I like about Superman. He makes me look worse by comparison. Morally. <laughs> yes, we are we are lesser men. <laughs> we are lesser men. Uh, well, while Superman really needs no introduction, let's talk about the Masters of the Universe's history. Dr. G, will you do the honors? Yes. Just in a sort of brief sort of synopsis, Masters of the Universe is the name of a, a line of action figure toys produced by Mattel between 1982 to 1987. Uh, this line of toys spawned a popular children's TV show titled He-Man and the Masters of the Universe that helped cement the popularity of these toys into a licensing bonanza that persists until this day. And I do, we do mean until this day. Um, She-Ra, one of the, his, the spinoff shows is getting a new cartoon <laughs> coming out from uh, Cartoon Network. And so it's to this day and they still produce uh, the Super 7 is the production company is, is currently still producing He-Man action figures, although not as toys, but as adult collectibles. Ah. <laughs> so know your market. Yeah, well, they're yeah. expensive. So it's like, yeah, kids aren't buying this. Um, so, but they, they're still produced to this day. And, and in it, it the core without, with all the different iterations, it still really kind of comes back down to, uh, the core of He-Man, you know, the most powerful man in the universe and who's defending Castle Grayskull and Eternia from Skeletor and all of his, his minions and baddies. Now, as a toy line, as a kid, I'd have to say, I like, I think like most kids thought the cartoon came first and then they made the toys for them afterwards. And not the other way around. And same thing with like the, the comics. So there was often a, a sense of disconnect <laughs> between the cartoons and the toys and the, and the comics and, and what they all, the different stories they told. But the story of the toy line itself is actually quite fascinating. So Mattel itself in 76 had passed on the Star Wars license to license their toys, which then went to Kenner and, you know, 77 comes and then by 78, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that Star Wars is, is the toy juggernaut basically, you know, right up there with Barbie as yeah. the sort of the, the, the big seller, not wanting to <laughs> miss out on this. And, and with the, the general change in the, the way that you can market to kids, they came up with the idea of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which had a lot to do with uh, market testing. They really wanted a, a character that could be barbarian hero action, but then science fiction soldier all at once. And there was a number of Mark Taylor, Roger Sweet, and a few others who kind of put together this world built around this. Now, originally they had used pieces from one of their previous toy lines, Big Jim, 
Uh, in fact, uh, Battle Cat is directly one of those toys, just basically with a different color mold on it and then accessories they added to it, which is why. Uh, and that, that toy line was not the same scale as the He-Man toy line. So, which is why Battle Cat is so large and that He-Man can ride on top of it. <laughs> um, they were supposed to have had produced an additional, uh, vehicle. They had promised an additional vehicle, but didn't really have the budget for it. So they just repurposed a character from another toy line and basically turned it into a vehicle and a character all at once, which I think it was a brilliant bit of, bit of sort of sleight of hand there and very like sort of like on the fly. While they were pitching He-Man at Mattel, they, they came up with the idea of also selling it with the comic books and, and a, eventually a cartoon that would be the way that the kids knew what they were doing when they played with the toys. And this, of course, then, you know, hit and we would see, you know, throughout the 80s, other toy lines do the exact same thing from G.I. Joe to Transformers to Thundercats, all of them, all of the toy, if they had a cartoon and a toy line, and they probably also had like a comic strip or a comic book at some point or other cross promotionals. And that ran from till about 87. Uh, they had the spinoff series, She-Ra, Princess of Power, where to appeal more to the female demographic in the toy sales. 87, after the pretty disastrous Masters of the Universe movie with Dolph Lundgren, the IP kind of took a little bit of a breather until the 90s when they they tried bringing him back as uh, in the new Adventures of He-Man with its own toy line once again, with a little more of like an anime style. I mean, it looked a lot more like Voltron than anything else. And uh, but it didn't wasn't as successful. They they basically only had like a season of that show, and then it kind of lay dormant till about 2006. Uh, when they had a 2006 Cartoon Network revival with, another, of course, another toy line as well. This time, though, the toy line wasn't as successful. Um, in fact, I think one of the bigger complaints that came out of it was that there wasn't enough He-Mans and, and Skeletors in circulation for kids to get a hold of them. Like, so to at least have like the two main hero and villains of the series, they didn't really have enough distribution of them. So it actually didn't do so well because of that. Uh, since then, we've had like, you know, talks of another He-Man movie, which there's still talk for like, I think 2019, a live action He-Man movie. And then, uh, there's once again, the She-Ra cartoons coming out again. And then they're still producing action figure lines. There's been a number of different reproductions of the action figure line. And I've seen personally, I see a lot more now comic book publishing wise. They were over at DC for a long time. And then Marvel had them under the star imprint, uh, which I'm actually trying to get my hands on, on those. After that, they've had a, I think a stinted image, but they've been back at DC a lot recently. Uh, in fact, with the, the last big one they had was a crossover with, uh, Thundercats, which I gotta say right now is like literally one of my favorite things. There's <laughs> in the last few years, like there's been two nostalgia books that have come out that have been just like the peak, the best thing I've ever read or not necessarily the best thing I've ever read, but just like hit all the right cylinders and mixed the peanut butter and chocolate just perfectly. And it was, uh, the Transformers GI Joe from IDW by, um, Tom Scully, totally trippy art and just the way he weaves the two together. And then, uh, Freddie Williams doing He-Man and Thundercats. The art is amazing and the story is just spot on. Like, oh my God, this is exactly what I would do if I had like an action figure lines of both of these. This is the story I would play. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And then they actually have a uh, He-Man vs. Injustice, the Injustice universe coming up in August. That's what they're on the docket for right now. So it's still going strong, at least in comic books. You know, comics, cartoons. If there's a cartoon, there's a toy line. So still a still a viable IP with legs. I think it's because it's, it's a little like Star Wars in some ways too, because it's Star Wars has that like that nice mix of Star Wars and it's, it's just space army men, but with like magical twist with the force. Yeah. Swords and magic and... And knights and stuff. But it's... Yeah. But it plays more heavily to that sort of military space story, whereas He-Man's just the other way. It's just it plays more heavily to the sword and sorcery, but there's that military space story in there, too. So they they both kind of, like, get the perfect mix of... Which, at the end of the day, if you want, like, a multi-genre toy line, the dad and superheroes, there you go. So this comic book we're looking at today, DC Comics Presents number 47, is actually... You know, the, the Masters of the Universe first comic book appearance outside of a mini comic that might have come with an action figure. 
I'm not wrong about that, right? Yeah. This is their first. And you can see it too. Um, this is definitely kind of like in between wave one and sort of the, the wave two, which was the extension of kind of wave one sort of extension. But, and we'll talk about this later, but there's, there's elements where you can see like the cartoon continuity starting to peek out, but there's still the old like original Alfredo Alcala sort of barbarian He-Man story in there as well. There's no Orko or just, you know, Man-at-Arms doesn't have a mustache. It's it's, it's very Which is much... not the true Man-at-Arms. Peak Man-at-Arms is rocking uh, awesome stash. <laughs> uh, and this is a very unusual uh, team-up because it is set in DC continuity. Uh, DC Comics Presents was a, a DC Comics set in the DC Universe with the Superman of that era... Uh, and uh, even though he sort of, mm, I'm not going to say time travel, it's not time, it's dimensional travel. We don't know. I mean, there's a travel between uh, Earth and Eternia in this. Uh, it puts He-Man and the rest, a licensed property, inside the DC Universe. So, of course, this becomes, or may become, at some points in publishing history, difficult to reprint along with other DC Comics Presents the team-ups because of it. And, uh, you know, both Marvel and DC did this. Uh, in this era, but I don't think there's another DC Comics Presents that uh, has a licensed property. I think this would be the anomaly. For for Marvel, they had like Conan and Red Sonja was, would become problematic. The Thing and Rom, so The Thing uh, teams up with Doc Savage was one of the uh, previous episodes that we did. So Marvel did this more, but uh, for DC, well, this is a prime example where Superman will um, interact in continuity with a toy line. <laughs> Without further ado, let's get into that synopsis. Let's tell this story. From Eternia with Death, by writer Paul Kupperberg, penciler Kurt Swan, classic Superman artist, inker Mike DiCarlo, letterer Ben Oda, colorist Gene D'Angelo, and the editing by Dave Manick. We open on the royal city of the planet of Eternia, a world of medieval fantasy and science fiction technology. In the training area of the Royal Palace of Eternia, Man-at-Arms, the master of technology and weaponry, is admonishing his student, Prince Adam, for his poor performance with his training. Quickly, it becomes apparent that Prince Adam is more interested in being a lazy womanizer than the future ruler of Eternia. After another attempt by Adam, where he disobeys the procedure to win the training session, as it were, Man-at-Arms leaves the training area in exasperation. In enters Tila, the new head of the Royal Guard, as she teases Adam of his carousing ways, promising to be there again when he needs to be saved from his bad behavior. Elsewhere, on a planet called Earth, mild-mannered TV news anchor Clark Kent does a pratfall to maintain his cover as a klutz for his co-workers' benefit. For in truth, he is the less-than-clumsy Superman. True to form, we return to Eternia on Adam drinking and carousing in a local tavern. He's accompanied by his meek, green-and-orange talking tiger, Cringer, who wants nothing more than to return to the peace and quiet of the royal palace. While out and about, Adam runs afoul of a local ruffian, and a one-sided battle ensues, seeing Adam flung out of the tavern through a wooden door. Before Adam and the ruffian can square off in the street, a laser blast from Tila's pistol breaks the fight up as she arrives with royal guardsmen in tow. After Tila scolds Adam for nearly getting trounced, a falcon overhead indicates to Prince Adam that he is needed and he makes a hasty excuse to dash off from Tila. Adam quickly makes his way to the cave outside the city, where he and Cringer are transformed into He-Man and Battlecat by the snake-armored goddess. The goddess once again warns He-Man that his foe Skeletor, the Lord of Destruction, is attempting to enter Castle Grayskull. Cut outside the walls of Castle Grayskull, where Skeletor is indeed with his henchman Beastmen, attempting to breach the drawbridge of Castle Grayskull. Skeletor, wielding one half of the power sword needed to breach the castle walls, marshals his mystic might to strike the castle. The mystic backlash shakes the planet and even bridges across dimensions. And suddenly, a strange storm cloud appears above Metropolis. A cloud Superman's X-ray vision cannot penetrate. A cloud that draws Superman into itself and sends him to Eternia, right into Skeletor and Beastman's lap. Before he can get his bearings, Skeletor gives him a shallow cut with the power sword. Superman can't believe he's bleeding. He tries to fight the skull-faced villain, but Beastman comes to his master's rescue. Superman shakes him off by flying around in circles. Skeletor finally zaps the Man of Steel with a magic blast from his sword, and Superman goes flying back. As He-Man approaches the Castle Grayskull atop Battlecat as a steed, 
he is halted by the meteoric crash of Superman after his tussle with Skeletor. After a quick introduction, the two heroes realize that they have a common foe in Skeletor and make their way to Castle Grayskull. Along the way, they're joined by men-at-arms flying a Wind Raider. They quickly arrive at the Castle Grayskull, where they find Skeletor cursing at the heavens at another failed attempt to breach Castle Grayskull's walls. The battle is joined as Man-at-Arms fires wrist rockets at Skeletor, which he deflected with mystical shield from his power sword. He-Man, two-headed battle axe in hand, charges his mortal enemy Skeletor. As Skeletor dodges He-Man's blow, he gloats as he strikes the magic-susceptible Superman with a mystic blast from his power sword. Hit by that mystic blast, Superman falls under his spell. His will is no longer his own. He fights He-Man, and after they trade a few blows, the Man of Steel supplies a final knockout. Skeletor next directs him to punch his way into Castle Grayskull, but Superman uses what little is left of his willpower to melt the ground under Skeletor's feet, then freezes the rock around him with super breath. The distraction allows him to break the spell, but Skeletor soon breaks free of his bonds. Superman snatches up Skeletor before he can attack, and with the tried and true curses I'll get you next time, Skeletor teleports away to plague He-Man and Eternia another day. He-Man thanks Superman for his help and offers to clarify any of the confusion he may have had on this adventure. Superman excuses any explanation, as his supervision reveals the time-space warp that brought him to Eternia has just opened up again, and he must leave. He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe, bids farewell to the Man of Steel as Superman flies back through the rift to his universe... He-Man promises that, if needed, he can call on the last son of Krypton again. The end. Has he ever no. <laughs> called Superman again? Well, uh, post-crisis, uh, there there was a, um, a Masters of the Universe, uh, DC Universe crossover event. And that was when they were publishing him again in the, here in the 2000s. So, so very much, yes. And the, <laughs> the, it's a lot. There's, there's no mention of this story. No, no, no. no this is... Pre-Christ, man. Nobody talks about that. (laughs) (laughs) Never happened. Never happened. Yeah, so let's talk about this story. Well, let's look at the cover, uh, because I didn't mention the cover earlier, but it's by Ross Andrew and Frank Giacoya, and the the issue also has a splash page, like the second cover, if you will, and this is pretty rare in this era to actually get a splash page as well. It's a great image. I was actually wondering about that as well, too, that there's basically a reproduction. Do you? I wonder if it was... um, they just didn't like think Kurt's opener was really quite a hit well and used a different artist for the cover. But um, I mean, it's about as classic as it gets, you know, uh, with He-Man, it's it's very uncomplicated. It's Secrets of Castle, Grayskull, Skeletor, He-Man, Shake, Mix, Repeat, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so they're very prominently. It's just Superman, though, thrown in. I like as how he's. Very sort of like a jarring addition to this world. Even if you didn't know this was a toy tie-in, was par for the course for this DC Comics Presents title for yeah. sort of Superman adventures. Because the way they've they've presented him on the cover, he's surrounded by the, you know, he's being forced into fighting He-Man. So he's surrounded by a yellow glow, which really makes him pop out. This character is out of his normal universe. It makes him pop off the cover even. Yeah. You know, it would remind me of the later, during the Golden Triangle era, the time travel, time and time again, where he's the Black Knight fighting Etrigan in uh, Camelot. A very much a, a similar plot of bent to the will of a sorcerer to fight the hero <laughs> of the piece from in a different era and a different world. Once again, this gets back to like, you know, just looking at the image, just on the cover, you know, you've got the castle, you've got Superman who's who's sort of you know, out of his element here, but you know, there's definitely this barbarian sort of setting. But always with Castle Grayskull, you also see and a laser gun, a laser turret. So yeah, it definitely, with very small hints, gives that it's it still sits in that science fiction world as well. You know, something you see in the splash page as well. You know, with clearly with man at arms flying a aircraft of some sort. That image is not as strong. Everybody's <laughs> kind of no. <laughs> and this is a very short story because I mean, there are only 17 pages of story. And that includes a splash page. So this is a 16-page story. It still feels, you know, it's not decompressed or anything. So it, it feels normal. But, uh, you know, comics at the time sometimes had shorter stories. Save money, I guess. Uh, here's a question for the Masters of the Universe expert. How does this early, really early comic story, you know, does it picture Eternia as you imagine it? 
have there been so many changes since then or soon after this that this kind of seems off model? What did you think of the... This is an interesting like transition point between the very first He-Man and I mean the He-Man universe because there were so many different toy lines that had their own basically like idiosyncratic stories and the reboots and stuff is itself like its own nested multiverse of back history and story. So there's no real like key back history, but there the original first like four books that came out were in many ways largely like promotional pieces that they turned into a storybook like really quickly because you can tell <laughs> the way it was written. And and in fact some of the art like if you kind of look at them like wait that doesn't make sense. Like in one of the first issues like Stratos is clearly teamed up with Skeletor and it very much looks like his henchmen are all like beast men of sorts, which is why Stratos is one of them. But then Mm -hmm. in a later one, he's clearly one of the heroes that teams up with the masters of the universe. This one actually, I think they capture a lot of like the cartoon feel, you know, we've got Prince Adam as sort of this irresponsible prince, except clearly like, it seems like man at arms is not in on the, the secret that he's he man. So that's, a bit of a departure. Um, having Man at Arms be his kind of confidant in the series is always, I thought, was a, a good aspect of it. It is very on model for the toys, though. Like, that training device is is one of the things that comes with Castle Grayskull that he's using in that those first few pages. But the thing that I got so puzzled by when I was reading this is that in the next page, in page three, like, clearly Prince Adam's pretty yoked because <laughs> he can lift that all metal training device pretty easily. And then Tila, who casually throws him a large like barbell, he bends the bar and without his He-Man strength. So this was something that was probably like the weirdest, most off model thing that happens is that like, okay, so how is he He-Man if he can already like bend steel with his bare hands when he's in his lazy drinking, you know, womanizing secret identity yeah he's definitely not playing the clark kent character like the meek the mild prince adam yeah uh that we see that we saw in the cartoon even though he was very buff yeah. um you know he had the same body shape you would never have seen him exhibit any kind of super strength uh, you know like cringer is more on on model where you know where he's just like a, the big scaredy cat and then becomes battle cat uh, but the other thing for me the, the thing that was like very off model Uh, as far as the cartoon goes, or what we remember of Masters of the Universe as a show, is, you know, getting the power of Grayskull, the, the sword. By the power of Grayskull! In this, he goes to a cave, and the sorceress turns him into He-Man. So he needs, like, a third party to do it. And there's no sword involved, so only Skeletor has a sword in this, except in the splash page. They haven't devised that yet. In the original four, he doesn't use the power sword almost at all. Skeletor always has half of it and is always looking for the other half. And so they're constantly kind of hiding it from him. But that's also like the what they call the Ular He-Man, which is the sort of... In the very first version, he's a barbarian who like lives with jungle tribes and leaves them and then meets the goddess and she gives him all of this like magical gear to help defend Castle Grayskull. So he's sort of very much like almost like a Tarzan-like barbarian that then gets all this like John Carter of Mars like extra tech to, you know, fight off like evil wizard. This is kind of that midway point because this is now they've embraced this idea. Well, what if he's this prince and, you know, lives this double life throughout this? He mainly uses his double headed axe, which was not the weapon you saw him using in the cartoon. And I, I think this has a fair amount to do with there came a point where they had to also be very careful with the character. In 80, they had fought a, um, they'd gotten into a lawsuit with the Howard estate. And I think also De Laurentiis's over the ownership of uh, Conan. Because Mattel had been approached to produce a Conan the Barbarian action toy line. There's some internal documents that seem to indicate that they were planning to create the line for the upcoming Schwarzenegger release. But then, of course, you know, the movie comes out and it's an R-rated, you know, bloodbath. I mean, it's an amazing movie, but like, it's not for kids, <laughs> you know? So, um, oh my God, I got 
And so uh, <laughs> I love that movie so much. And so they were kind of like, we're not selling, you know, toys to kids for an R-rated movie. Although, you know, not that they won't like sell like Robocop toys and uh, many other R-rated properties as, as action figure toys later down the line. They balked on it. So they basically got sued because, I mean, if you look at He-Man's hair, I mean, he's got the, the Conan the Barbarian square cut, paint his hair black, and he looks like almost any picture of Conan the Barbarian. Uh, there was definitely, I think, they had to – luckily, they they won the lawsuit um, pretty much since Conan the Barbarian, even though he's really the very very much the originator of the sort of the kind of like barbarian sword and sorcery um, genre. The genre was so big that they were like, you can't own the genre. And there was enough differences and there was enough evidence that they were, they had been working on the toy line before the Howard estate and, and the owners of the Conan property came to them. So, so yeah. they won in the end. But yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of that too going on in there too. Cause aside from He-Man himself, you know, owes more to Kirby than to Howard, you know? Uh, yeah, I would definitely say, but there's a lot of Howard in there. I mean, had they made it, I mean, I'm almost certain that Skeletor would have basically been like Thulsa Doom, who has a snake mountain <laughs> as well. So, so there's that, but you know, that's in another corner of the multiverse. If people want to learn more about the toy line, uh, there is a documentary piece on it as part of uh, These Are the Toys That Made Us, mm-hmm. which is on, you can find on Netflix, uh, where they talk about a number of toy lines, including Masters of the Universe in the one of the f- first four episodes. What did you think of the uh, art and story? Because the, there are the differences between He-Man as we came to picture it. What about the, this story itself, this meeting with Superman and uh, this plot by Skeletor? What did you think? As a plot by Skeletor, this is a practically one of the plots from the mini comics. Um, he basically, in one of the mini comics, he, he figures out a way that one of the ways he might try to get into Castle Grayskull is to open a portal to another dimension over where Castle Grayskull is located, transport into the other dimension, and then transport back while having moved to where physically. So kind of like jumping dimensions to bypass the, the barriers to, in doing so, accidentally opens a portal that lets out Trapjaw. And that's how Trapjaw is added, in, at least in that comic. So, so him like calling up or having something go wrong while attacking Castle Grayskull is something that's happened more than once in the, in the book. So, so for, for them, honestly, this is very much like Superman got caught up in a fairly typical He-Man story. And so while this is a very atypical story for him, this is a pretty like, yeah, this is a Tuesday, <laughs> as as they like to say on the Flash TV show. Did it bother you that uh, Superman is stronger than He-Man in this? Well, stronger. I mean, that there's this great shot on page 15 where uh, where they're both punching. You know, they're just sort yeah. of – and that's a great shot. But then Superman basically knocks out He-Man, or a technical knockout looks like. Does that bother you that He-Man is the lesser super strengthster in this? Um, yes, yes it does. Yes it does. <laughs> I normally I would be fine. You know, normally it's Superman. It's like the spark of DNA of all superheroes. I feel always calls, but I'm I'm very much one of those that like Superman's appearance is the. It's like in Mage. It's like Superman's appearance is the shifting of reality. You know, that's when superheroes became real. So yeah, no, I, I I'm a little worried because I I like the idea that there is a hero that's physically stronger than Superman, but you know doesn't have like at this point. You know, we're talking like Superman who's just very hey I I can just scan space with my eyes and fly through dimensional portals, no problem. So I'm okay with him being very super capable, but I, I always like the idea of, of that He-Man is the strongest man in the universe and for his universe. But, you know. Uh, there are two reasons why this maybe is a, a problem. And I know I'm supposed to be defending Superman. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> on the one end, we are in He-Man's world and he should be its hero. And his strength is created magically. Yeah. So the magic should have an effect on Superman in the way that magic does, the same way that Skeletor's sword can draw blood. That might have been a like a plot reason to do it uh, the other way. The other reason is that you know the, the the more writerly reason not to do this is that He-Man has you know super strength is his only thing. Yeah, it's yeah. his only thing. Superman has a lot of other tricks. So if you want Skeletor to to you know temporarily succeed and have Superman knock out He-Man, he should have done it with one of his other powers. So that strength-wise, He-Man wins, but Superman has 
all these other tricks that he can use. Yeah, he could have frozen him in a block of ice with his super breath. And He-Man would have, you know, busted out. It would have been the same thing here where he wakes up, you know, quickly after. He's just he's just a little stunned. Yeah, exactly. And and they could have stuck with the idea that He-Man is stronger, which, you know, which would once again prompt Superman to have to use one of his other powers. Although I think they were trying to establish that since Skeletor didn't really understand his other powers, he wasn't using them, which is why He-Man's or Superman's able to escape by using his other powers ah uh, yes okay yeah like he yeah like skeletor only has a control over certain well he only, he only has yeah. the concept that this guy's can fly and is really strong and doesn't understand oh by the way he can like release hurricane strength winds that are arctically frigid from his mouth <laughs> you know like that sounds weird so superman had control over certain powers because skeletor wasn't aware of them yeah, yeah. that's not super clear i think it makes a lot of sense. Now that you say it, yeah, I guess that's. I want my no prize. Yeah, I'll send you an envelope. Uh, I keep I keep winning them on whatever shows, so <laughs> I can send you one of mine. Uh, I got plenty. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's there's a lot. You know, the the story is so short. There's a lot that's glossed over. Whether you know that dimensional portal that opens. Yeah, I guess that Skeletor. You know, opening up that cloud or whatever, and then. You know, somehow it's yeah, the DC accident. universe. But yeah. It was accident, too, you know. And I think it would have been, you know, a, just a little tweak. Like, He-Man's stronger. Even Superman even says it on the cover. On the cover, he has the caption, as long as Skeletor magically controls me, I must attack He-Man. And that means I could die. So they very much set the stakes that, you know, since He-Man is also is magically imbued, he should be able to injure and kill Superman. And that's something that they kind of like gloss over it. I'm not saying that Kurt Swan might have any sort of bias about Superman's abilities <laughs> in a story he's made with it. And why would I say that? Why would I think that? There's no evidence of it. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I mean, this is a like a rare toy tie-in. Both the writer and artist might have thought this was more disposable than usual. Yeah, no, it's it's totally not to throw shade on He Man, but they might have thought, well, this is this is something we've been asked to do because this is essentially it's the preview to a preview. It previews watch for the special message of the universe free insert coming soon, and there was a free insert in a number of books at the time, a full bonus He Man book in the middle of your other comics that month. I remember that I probably read that first before this. And, you know, they would do that from time to time. Either, like, Blue Devil started out that way. Teen Titans. Yeah. New, new Teen, Teen Titans. Titans. Yeah. yeah. Started out like that. And uh, and other toy lines. Mask, I remember, had a... Uh, that toy line had, a uh, like, a bonus insert comic. And that's supposed to be a preview of some, you know, of something else. And this is a preview of that preview. So maybe Kupperberg and Swan. I don't want to put, you know, motivations in their heads. But they might have thought, well, you know, we've been ordered to do this. It's... From all accounts, takes a special writer to care about doing a tie-in comic. Like Marvel had that, you know, whether it's like their GI Joe and their Transformers and and Rom, Space Knight, Micronauts were basically written by people who cared about it as if it were their own creations, and you know, in, in part they were. Oh yeah, no, very much so. Like, I and, mean... and they, you know, they put a lot of care in it, and those became very, you know, classic comic runs. In this case. You know, it's not like Kupperberg's not going to be writing a He-Man comic for whatever length of time. So they might have been, you know, let's, let's just let's just write this thing and knock it out as quickly as possible and not think about it too much. It's just a toy. It's just, it's just because we've been ordered to do a tie-in. It's about marketing, not about story. It comes out pretty good, but, you know, it might have been done a bit on the fly. Possibly. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, it's uh, <laughs> to pre-plug one of our uh, my other shows on my network. Um, it's very much kind of the same thing they ran into with like the first Masters of the Universe or the sorry Secret Wars series is, you know, it was supposed to be a toy tie in and there really wasn't a lot of like on model toy tie in. Unlike He-Man where, you know, um, it's very clear that they got re- photo referencings or at least like production art to work from to draw mm-hmm. this because you know everyone's pretty much except for like he-man's prince adam which actually isn't off model it's it looks like some of the prince adams in the the mini comics that's not really off model but for the most part the rest of it is pretty much well tila had her hair was up on the yeah. figure 
And yeah. here it's loose. Like, Tila looks unlike the action figure. Well, and also they're going with the, the goddess and Tila as separate. But when the toy came out, it was Tila and she had the snake mm. armor and the, You're right. and the thing. So, so this, and this, this was a, this is a definitely a bridge between the two. Cause like the original goddess is also green in skin and color too. And so she's like the snake goddess that basically gives the first like barbarian He-Man all of this gear mystical gear to help you know that f- left over from a previous like post-apocalyptic war would this comic have encouraged you to uh get the toys um by itself no no because i don't at least in the version i have there's no ads for the toys so there, there's no really even indication that there's a toy line like if i had read that and not known there was a toy line i, I wouldn't know there was a toy line to go by so i don't really feel like it kind of like sold the toy line enough. Like there's a lot of things like I realized like, you know, I called out that there was the Wind Raider. And, like they didn't call it the Wind Raider. That's like one of their pieces of it literally one of the vehicles I totally wish I had owned <laughs> as a kid. And and they didn't call it that. I mean they got Tila Man at Arms, they got Beast Man and they had Skeletor, which which is really the very, very first wave that came out. Very early, like six. First run was pretty short, and then they started expanding out. So, so yeah, these are really, you know, not a lot of the figures. And actually, I got to say, Beast Man is the worst. <laughs> the Beast Man's face is just not drawn well at all. Or at least it's not, like, evocative... And it is a hard face to draw. I don't think I've ever seen too many people quite get it right in this era, or or at least even have a decent agreement on it. Well, his colors are so garish. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the armor was pink over his orange you know, body. Yeah. Even the toy, I would infrequently put the armor on. Because, you know, you look better just as an orange monster. Yeah, like as basically an ape man. You know, okay, so that that's very funny. I realize I never switched up their armors and stuff. I, don't oh, know I did why. that. Yeah, I think I, I did ne- that. I don't know why I never did that. Or at least I have no recollection of doing it. And I'm just like, that's so weird. I could have totally made... I, I guess I was very much like, you got to be on brand. You don't wear that. That's that's not yours. You yeah. No, I used to do it. I remember I have like uh, flashes of memory of, you know, uh, the Skeletor armor on He-Man or... But... Mm-hmm. Um, it was more for fun than anything. It wasn't. It wasn't part of the story. I was making a story out of it or anything. Yeah. It was just like switching clothes. Yeah, no, because it looks cool. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I. The only thing I remember from our personal story at home was that Tila was dating Beastman. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. She liked Beastman more. Uh, but you know that's kids. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even like touching that. <laughs> Each episode, we do a small mini debate touching on various topics to compare our two stars. Well, first is, whose story was this? How well does this fit, you know, Superman or He-Man's uh, stories or atmosphere? So is this a Masters of the Universe story or is it a Superman story? Um, It's a Masters of the Universe story, I feel. Um, Even though we'll see in the next question, I think Superman does all the cool stuff. In this one, it's a very straightforward, like, Masters Universe story. I mean, at the end of it, he doesn't really understand what really happened. Where (laughs) He-Man's like, no, let me explain it. This is something that happens all the time. (laughs) You know, so I very felt much it was a a He-Man story. Yeah, it's on Eternia. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all, I mean, doing Masters of the Universe, you're not just doing He-Man. Basically, this is the reverse of the movie version where He-Man goes to our world uh, and hangs out, you know, with normal people. <laughs> In this, it's Superman goes to Eternia. So it really is an Eternia story, a Masters of Universe. I, I completely agree. But yeah, who who gets the cool moves? If I talk about Superman, I think the uh, Uredi has many cool moves, but his coolest is probably the bit where he overcomes Skeletor, uses his heat vision and freeze breath combo. Uh, you know, that's like a good use of Superman's entire powers package. Uh, what about He-Man? Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, the only thing I would defend with <laughs> He-Man is when he was Adam, he beat the training device by, like, getting under it and lifting it instead of, like, my guess is he was trying to reach in and turn it off somehow or some sort of speed test or something. But I like that he's like, well, here, I'll just do this instead. And that was a cool move, but it was, like, a cool move to establish that he's, like, an irresponsible jerk. <laughs> So, but he's faking it, right? He's faking it. Yeah, no, he's definitely doing the same thing that 
that we see Clark do when he trips up at the uh, at the studio. Uh, what about dumb moves or weird moves? Does He-Man have any? I guess, you know, just getting punched out by Superman's the dumb part. I, I'm like, I was just like, oh, I just wish you were stronger. Superman's fine. He can, he can beat stronger people. That's not a problem for him. So it's not like it diminishes that character. It's not like we, but like it really did like, you know, you said it yourself. It really kind of diminished He-Man's kind of like one trick by having Superman best him. So if it's like dumb or weird move, that's definitely my dumb move is getting clocked. <laughs> well, for Superman, it's, I think he's very, he's slow in this mentally. Yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't clue in very quickly that he's on a world of magic, even though he's talking to a human skeleton. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guy has swords and then there's, I mean, when he gets cut by that sword, at some point he should have thought, Okay, maybe there's there's magic afoot at this point. He was very, very slow to figure things out, especially since he's so way behind on the readers. The readers know this is a magic world, and they've, you know, they've seen yeah. enough of that. And then it's not even a big thing. He gets his uniform sliced. We're told he's bleeding, but doesn't, you know, you don't see any blood. So it's it's just a scratch. So if it's not even going to be a big plot point, I don't know. It felt like uh, Superman should have figured things out way before. And yeah. stayed bu- stayed behind enough to, to learn what was happening. I mean, the thing that we're, oh, no, screw that, I got to leave, is very odd. I mean, we don't need the explanation as readers, but that he doesn't even know the explanation. And this is just another weird chapter in my life. Yeah, yeah. I think, honestly, it was... He was just like, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's like, and, where's your curiosity? I mean, that's, to me, I mean, Superman is supposed to be a scientist as well, right? Mm-hmm. In this era. So where's your intellectual curiosity, Clark? Yeah. It just feels strange. What do you think of the friendly farewell then? Because that, this is a tradition in Team Up Comics. that You know, the, the, the issue ends with sometimes friendly farewell. Normally friendly farewell because the heroes were on the same side. But here, Superman clutches out of there so quickly. Is this a friendly farewell? Um, Not from Superman's point of view. I think he was just like, oh, look, there's my exit. Hey, y- you got this, right? I'm, I'm leaving. I don't want any part of this. <laughs> and so he definitely pieces out pretty quickly there. Um, I think He-Man, on the other hand, was like, hey, buddy. You know, if we ever need your help, we'll call on you again. Superman's like, yeah, lose my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's channeling Kupperberg and Swan. When we said, well, maybe uh, they didn't really care about this project. Uh, it's like Superman just wants out of it. Why am I shilling for this toy? And he just wants out, you know, before somebody blames me for, for spending all that money. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a bizarre little goodbye. He-Man is very friendly, but yeah, Superman isn't. Well, you know, I'm happy they they didn't have a classic Marvel like, oh no, a super being fell in front of me. Fight! <laughs> I mean, they do get to fight later, which is fine. But yeah, more of a contrived reason rather than, I guess, you know what? I guess the Daily Bugle doesn't get here to, to tell us how bad Spider-Man is, so we can't automatically assume he's a villain. And Superman's more handsome than the thing. So yeah, okay. I guess the Marvel stars creates misunderstanding because they're creepy crawlies or rock monsters. (laughs) Or a guy dressed up like a devil. (laughs) Yeah, they got a lot of that. We'll take a small break, a couple of promos. Then we'll be back with our bonus team-ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics, rocketed to Eternia from a dying planet as a child, Kal-El of Krypton was adopted by the royal family of Eternia and named Adam. Once Prince Adam of Eternia calls upon the power of Krypton, he is transformed into the most powerful being in the multiverse, Superman. With this power, he transforms his loyal dog Krypto into Battlehound, a massive seed for the Barbarian of Steel. Superman defends the planet Eternia and protects the secrets of the Fortress of Solitude from Skellex, the ruthless techno-wizard and his menagerie of evil warriors. Read it monthly from Amalgam and visit your local Targ Mart for tie-in toys. Hello friends, I am He-Man and I want you to read along as we listen to the adventures of the Masters of the Universe. Get ready for a lot of fun and excitement. Now let's start.
I am Dr. G, the man of nerdology and host of the Pulp to Pixel podcasts. In 1982, a universe of space barbarian adventure was bestowed upon me the day I opened my first Masters of the Universe action figure. That figure was He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. Armed with the mini-comic that came with the figure as a guidebook, I traveled to the world of Eternia to defend the secrets of Castle Grayskull from the ruthless schemes of Skeletor. Join us for MotuCast, a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe podcast. On each episode, we will return to the land of Eternia, one mini-comic at a time. Turn the page and unlock the power of Grayskull. We're back. One final feature, the bonus team-up in which each of us proposes a perfect Masters of the Universe team-up. What have you got, Dr. G? Okay, so ever to keep the theme to the toys, um, I would love to see a Motu and Transformers team-up. Not only because visually it would be super cool, but I could just imagine all of the He-Man vehicles being redone as Transformers as well. Wind Raider that transforms into a, a robot that fights alongside He-Man or uh, the Battle Ram, which actually had two parts, which would transform or Rotan or or any of the different vehicles into Transformers. I think that would make a great addition to the toy line and would be super fun. And um, uh, here, take all my money. <laughs> uh, well, we talked about jack kirby so much uh just as an inspiration or you know like a cousin of this so i would do the masters of the universe and the new gods it's it's somewhat obvious given mm-hmm. the, the connection but i can't resist he-man teaming up with orion and calabac with Beastman, and maybe even jimmy olsen with courtney cox <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course you have skeletor and dark side uh, who would end up turning on one another you know you could easily merge these two things I would definitely see that as a possible, you know, not that they're doing, DC is doing a lot of Masters of the Universe miniseries and their team-ups. It seems like only a matter of time. Yeah, and I think also a lot of people have discussed how, like, the Masters of the Universe movie itself was pretty much a, a sort of, like, tangential fourth world sort of story. Uh, Skeletor definitely being dark side he-Man as an, as very much like an Orion character, but then Gwildor and the sort of the, the cosmic key being basically like a broken mother box and boom tube technology. I, I know that Paul Chadwick of Concrete Fame worked on, on the film as, on the designs phase of it. Yeah. And he couldn't possibly not have seen the Kirby connections and, you know, inserted that into his part of the work as well. Well, and to speak of Paul Chadwick, so another sort of tie-in for you guys, readers out there, I always have to recommend this whenever I get a chance. Uh, in his his seminal series, Concrete, he has a story arc called Fragile Creature, where basically the character of Concrete works on a sword and sorcery movie that is very thinly veiled that it's the He-Man movie, the Masters of the Universe movie. It's Chadwick's experience on that film, yeah. Yeah, so it's very much his experience on that film, but it's he does it so well. I mean, honestly, I I hadn't even known that. And then as soon as you mentioned it, I'm like, all of the gears like clicked into place. <laughs> so so yeah, no, very much. And I, I very much recommend it too for anyone who just, once again, tangential superhero comic book as concrete is. That arc in particular is also this this beautiful glimpse into like, you know, how the sausage is made when it comes to a big blockbuster movie. It was my first experience with concrete. Uh, and uh, I got that story basically from the, the back pages, uh, which may or may not be, you know, included in any collections, but mm-hmm. uh, in the original comics, he, you know, he, he tells that story. So uh, I'd always remembered it. Uh, well, this is it. This is the end. Uh, thanks for teaming up with me, Dr. G. It's been a while since we did it. Yeah, no, no, I definitely. I uh, always love our, our team ups, but sometimes the multiverse just doesn't align properly. But remind people where they can find you on the potosphere. So out there in the interwebs, you can find us at pulptopixel.blogspot.com. That's our main website. Uh, we also have a Pulp to Pixel Facebook page on both of those where you can listen to episodes of uh, Welcome to Astro City, our, our pilot series, Motu Cast, a He-Man and the Masters Universe 
podcast, Secret Wars, Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond, where my co-host Sean and uh, our newest co-host, Gregor Rujo, take on the Secret Wars titles. Right now they're doing Secret Wars 2. They're having very much a blast recording, and I'm having very much a blast not having to edit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm enjoying it. It's I get to listen to it as a an actual like a fan now, <laughs> which is actually kind of fun. And uh, Dial G for Gamer, uh, a bit of an infrequent show, but where I talk about you know about as infrequent as as Hero Points. <laughs> so shush, I, shush. I can't I can't throw shade there. <laughs> so um, oh wait, did I just? That's a thief backstab right there. <laughs> for you D&D fans out there. We talk about gaming. Specifically, I like to talk about superhero gaming in, in particular. There you go. A uh, reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments, and the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcast. See you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort. He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe.